Hey, do me a favor, uh, turn to the person to your right and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Man, that really sounded like, like you meant it. Turn to the person to your left and say, okay, for real, I mean it. I'm glad you're here. Turn to the person behind you and say, hey, I'm tired. Turn to the person like southwest of you and say, you look really good. Turn to the other person that's like the other way and say, will you be my Valentine? No. Oh, no, we're not doing that? Okay, 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 okay. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure you guys are aware. I just want to make sure you, hey, it's okay. It's all good. It's okay if you don't have a Valentine too, okay? I'll be your Valentine. See, yeah, I'll be, see, I'm Jude's Valentine now. Thank you, Jude, appreciate that. Hey, Calvary students, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're here tonight. Open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Uh, you may have received on your chair a little card that looks like this. It has awesome graphics about what's going on in student ministry, but also behind it, you can write sermon notes. Okay, it has been proven scientifically that if you actually write, it, it, it holds longer in your brain. Like you'll remember it more than just typing it in your phone. It's like, a, I don't know how that works, but I just know it works. Uh, has anybody ever been so passionate like about something before that you're willing to like die or, or fight anyone at any time, at any place? Like I'm telling you right now, like Whataburger is number one. I will fight you type of thing. Anybody? I mean, I'm just saying it, it don't compare to like in and outs nothing compared to Whataburger. That's, that's what I think. Right now for me, I have a buddy that I love very much and we love basketball. Okay. And we talk about basketball all the time. Literally, that's all like that. The only time he ever reaches out to me is to talk about basketball. And we usually talk about like who the greatest shooter is, right? Obviously, Steph Curry, we can agree on that. Who, who the greatest defender is, you know, that's debatable. Who's the best uh, rebounder? I would say Shaq. Some others say Alonzo Mourning, those players. But, but by far, the biggest argument and debate that we have is who is the greatest basketball player of all time. That, that's just, that, that is something that for some reason we will always debate. But the, the, the unhealthy aspect of this is that he believes it's LeBron and I believe it's Michael Jordan. Okay, yeah, see, obviously you guys are smart. You know it's Michael Jordan. The problem is though is my friend is so passionate, like, and I'm serious. He will text me, he will, he will text me a, like a stat, a number of LeBron, and I'll, repo- I'll respond like really snarkily or like, uh, like just sarcastically. And, and he'll literally message me and say, are you trying to get me mad? Dot, dot, dot. Because it's working. Like he will tell me, I just want to, I want to hit you in your face so bad. And for some reason though, right, when we're passionate about things, when we're passionate about wanting to be right, our pride kicks in, right? And let me tell you, my friend, I love him, but his pride kicks in and says, let me tell you why LeBron is the GOAT, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, look, this is why Michael Jordan's the GOAT. But for some reason, our internal fleshly desires come in, our pride comes out, and it just wants to prove to the world that we are right, that, that I'm correct, that, that this is what I'm passionate about, and fights start happening. Now, the problem is, as we're going to read in James, is sometimes, more actually all the time, when it's not rooted in who Jesus is, these things that we fight about, quarrel about, are upset about, are passionate about, our fleshly desires just want to indulge in, 
can lead to fights and arguments, but more than that, it can lead to sin that will then lead to death, as we've been talking about in, in the book of James. And Jackie did a great job last week talking about wisdom, and I will kind of follow that trend. And I believe that James, in James chapter 4, he imparts some really good wisdom here as well. Let's read together. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know what friendship with the world means? Enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, the enemy, and he will flee from you. Here's the thing. Ultimately, in this world, we keep chasing things. And sometimes these things that we chase are rooted in selfish ambition and desires, a.k.a. Sin, and here's, here's point number one really quickly. Sin never leads to satisfaction. Sin never leads to satisfaction, okay? I'm not sure about you, but I've definitely had my fair share of struggles with satisfaction in life. And one of the biggest things that I was passionate about, like in life as I was a kid, was, was life like in high school, right? Or life after high school too, like, man, when, when, or, or, or like even as a middle school kid, I was like, man, once I get to like eighth grade, I'm going to be like the top dog in this middle school. It's going to be great. Or, or sometimes I think past it. Okay, no, no, middle school wasn't great. Let me, let me think about high school. After high school, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, play basketball and then, and then maybe I'm going to be able to like get some ladies and whatnot. You know what? Okay, no, after college, after college. So while I'm in college, I'm going to like study. I'm going to do great. I'm going to find me my future wife, whatnot. Okay, no, no, no. After college, you know what? I'm going to go and get money. I'm going to get some mine. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to have kids and whatnot. And we continue to strive. It is, for some reason, we're never satisfied. There's always something better. There's always something that we're chasing, right? And the problem with that is that I believe some of that was rooted in covetness. So if you don't know what covetness means, very simply, it's to want something so badly that somebody else has, right? When you see somebody with that brand new Gucci backpack or something, and you're like, first of all, that's got to be fake because we in the valley. There ain't no Gucci stores around here, right? Or Louis Vuitton. Or they got that Supreme sweater. Or they got them like, uh, they got them North Carolina uh, uh, Jordan 1s. Mm, that baby blue is fire. I'm not going to lie. I wish I could afford those. It was like $5,000. Those, those uh, uh, what's it called? Dior Jordan 1s. Man, those are pretty. And so what do we do? Okay, let, let me, I got I to gotta do mine so I can get mine, right? I got to make sure I got those Jordan 1s because that's what I need. And you're coveting it so badly that it consumes your entire being, right? And maybe it even leads to hating. Anybody have a friend that, or know somebody that's just a hater? Like, they're just like, they just hate for no reason. 
Like they just cannot be happy for you, right? It's like, hey man, look, I finally got some new shoes, blah, blah. Man, those are lame, bro. Those suck. Those aren't even like, you got shacks, bro? Bro, come on, not even, and ones? Nah, dude, right? Or maybe you get like a, a good grade in school, right? You get a, a hundred on a test or something. Hey man, I, I got a hundred on my test. That, man, that was too easy. You didn't, you didn't even have to study. I hope you didn't study because it was too easy. They just hate. They cannot be happy for you. But in reality, I believe that there's some jealousy in there, some envy in there where it's like, I want that. But, in order, but because I can't have that, I'm just going to push you down. I'm just going like, to just bring you down to my level. And what, that, what does that cause? Pride. What, what does that cause? Fighting. Right? It causes friendships to be broken. And all of those things are rooted in our natural sin, our natural human being. We're, we're people that are broken. Right? In the end, we just keep chasing things that will never satisfy us. And worse could tempt us into sin, which leads to death. Every year, every year, there's always something that we could be chasing. It never ends. It never ends. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They come from your desires that battle within you, James says. And it's, and it's kind of weird because you say you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Well, he's not meaning literally, okay? So let me, let me just clarify this. He doesn't mean that you, you want those Jordans so bad that you're going to kill this person. No, he literally means that because of your covetousness, because of your jealousy and envy, it leads you to hate this person. And what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Anger is equivalent to murdering the heart. It's the same thing. You see this, this, this dude, with a, he, he got a baddie with, her, with him. She a baddie. And you start lusting over this particular girl, right? You start coveting, and then you start hating this dude. You just murder in your heart more. You just committed adultery in your heart because of your covetousness towards this person's, could be, I mean, I know you're in high school, but you never know, that could be somebody's wife one day, or it will be somebody's wife one day. It's not going to be yours. It ain't going to be yours, I guarantee you that. Not right now, not while you got no job. Not while you just thinking that because I'm on, I'm on JV for a basketball team or, or I'm like first chair for band. You think, you think that's going to get them? No, you don't get good credit score, a good job, okay? Financial security. We'll talk about that's another, that's another sermon. That's another sermon. That's another sermon. But get your bread. That's another sermon, okay? But that's the thing is that sin will never lead to satisfaction. But here, listen to what verse... Uh, Verse 3 says, when, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And what he's talking about here is prayer. And I believe that, and I'm guilty of this too, that we've had a misconception sometimes of what prayer is. And sometimes we do it without even knowing. Okay? Sometimes we, we view prayer as a specific thing that it's not meant to be. But Paul, I mean, but, but James is saying that you need to ask, right? You do not have because you do not ask. So it is important to ask God for things through prayer. But here's a list of what prayer is so that we can clarify some things, okay? Prayer is powerful. It is, man. It is. If, and I'm not sure if I shared the story here or not of, of when God really spoke to me while I was walking my dog, but 
that prayer that I had, that prayer time that I had with him was powerful, full of emotion, full of just intimacy with our Lord. It was personal, right? Prayer is personal. When you go to that place that you know nobody's going to disturb you, it's just you and God, you can just pray to him. When was the last time you did that? I dare you to go. It's, it's 2022. Some of y'all said, I'm going to be, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to like pray with it. Okay, well, it's already February. Go ahead and count how many times you've done that. Right? But at the same time, prayer is also public. We come together to pray corporately together as a church. It's a means of connecting with God. It's a means of asking for needs that we, that we have for, to God. It's a means of seeking God. What if we had a prayer life, Calvary students, that consisted of us seeking him for who he is? Man, what would change? How would our attitudes change? How would our hearts change? How would our expectations of life change if we were to look at prayer as simply as seeking God himself? What is what is not prayer? Prayer is not a magic wish. Okay, there's no magic involved in prayer whatsoever. It's sacred, it's personal, it's holy. It's not a magic wish. It's not a means to get what you want. Two big distinctions. The first one said prayer is a means of asking God for what you need. What it's not is asking God for what you want. And there, there's a fine line there. I'm not going to lie to you. I think it, it's okay to pray to God. God, I really, actually, a quick, 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 quick example. When I, start, when I stopped praying for the type of wife that I wanted and started praying for the type of God that I needed, my whole perspective on marriage changed. Because it's easy to say, I want a baddie. I want her to look like this. Oh, of course, I want her to love Jesus. But what if it actually was, Lord, give me a wife that I need, that's going to tell me to shut up, that's going to tell me, like, hey, you need a, where are you with the Lord? That's going to tell me, hey, you need to clean your room, <laughs> right? Goodness, I'm sorry. I'm going to get better, Jack. Um, but for real, how our attitude changes. Um, it's not a chore, Okay, prayer is not like I have to pray. I have to go into. No one's going to force you, but you will be missing out on something that could bless you deeply. That could bless you in such a way that you can't even imagine. Prayer is also not a task that makes you a better Christian. Right. I, I know that's kind of like we just talked about how when was the last time I went into my room or whatnot. And I'm not saying that you need to do that to be a better Christian. But remember that it is something that we're called to do in the sense of we're able to. It's, it's like we have permission to be before God. Don't take that for granted, yo. You actually are able to be in the presence of the creator of the entire universe. It's a question of not, do I have to? It's a choice of, it's a question of, man, I get to. I get to. But it doesn't make you a better Christian either. Don't do it. Don't turn it into a check. A checkbox list, right? James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
When you continue to pursue your fleshly desires, you continue to be against God. When you continue to pray for things that aren't relevant to who he is or what he has in store for you, you're in a sense praying for things that will continue to push you away from him. You gotta be careful of the God that you're praying to. Remember that he is holy and he is righteous. That at the end of the day, you're gonna stand before him. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just telling you the reality of what scripture says. Also understand that God is also loving and kind. Like you would never go up to your mom or your dad and say, hey, hey dad, give me some money so that I can go buy matches and light a house on fire. Go ahead. Why would you do that? That's like dumb, right? The audacity for you to even ask that, that he would give me money so that I can buy matches to burn a house. Why would he, you'd go to jail? Like he's not going to say yes to that or, or even worse or even worse. The thought that a parent, that you would go up to a parent and say, hey, can, can you get me a knife so that I can cut myself? How dare you? How dare you would think that a parent would even condone such a thing? The thought that you would believe that someone didn't love you enough to say no? I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. I'm not going to go up to my mom and ask for that knife. They're, they love you in the same way that God has love for you. He's not going to give you things that that you want because he knows that there's things that they're going to separate you away from him. Think about that. Things that are literally going to kill you. The, the mom won't give you the knife. God's not going to give you anything that's going to kill you. That's dumb. Sin leads to death. Remember that. But the problem is that we keep listening to the world that tells us otherwise. James 4, verses 4 through 5. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says that without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Very simple. Friendship with the world equals enmity with God. Or in other words, uh, being um, an enemy with God. Friendship with God means the enemy of the world, enmity with the world, okay? Friendship with the world means enmity with God, but friendship with God means enmity with the world. In other words, friendship involves commitment to one another, right? The expectation of mutual instruction for mutual development. So if you're going to say, I'm committed to being friends with the world, I'm committing to let the world shape me up and mature me in a specific way, okay? When you say, I will be friends with the world, I'm accepting that whatever the world tells me, I will grow up to be that. And that's happening a lot right now, especially in the U.S. So much influence. It's ridiculous. And it's hidden it's hidden in ways to make you think that it's good, that it's just, that it's morally correct. But in reality, it's just something that's been told to by another imperfect human. Like, I'm going to listen to someone who's just as dumb as I am and say, okay, yeah, you're right. We don't have it figured out, but God does. And what does he mean by the, by the world here, though, right? 
And how does friendship with the world in that sense relate to what's he saying about war and fighting and all that? Well, it's not necessarily the people or the world, but it's the behavior aspect of the world. Okay? I'm not saying hate the world. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying recognize that the world is broken. That's all I'm saying is recognize that the world is broken and that you cannot be led by something that's broken because you'll end up broken. You cannot be led by something that's broken because you will end up broken. My, at my wedding, my best man, uh, he's one of my greatest friends. Love him to death. And I, can, I consider him like a brother. However, one thing that I've noticed is that he's influenced me so much and I've also influenced him particularly with like these mannerisms. I don't know if you ever like you and your friend have like a thing that you just do. Like, like I won't, I won't share <laughs> some of the things that me and him have in common, but for some reason, like we make noises for so like, if you see us, if you were here, like if you go, come to Tuesday nights, you might see us being playing ping pong and I'll go, Oh, like for some, for no reason. And he goes, Oh, right. Like we, we just have that thing. And what I realized that it wasn't like just in a moment that that was developed. It was after years of, over eight years, eight years of friendship that him and I have been influencing off each other, right? But I praise God that, that he is someone that, that does fear the Lord, someone that I could go to and he could come to me and we could talk about who God is and whatnot. And, and I praise God that I had those type of friends in my life that I was able to do that with, but we're also being influenced each other and we eventually we kind of like have the same mannerisms. It just happens like that. My wife, right? Like, once we got married, we've only been married a little over a month, but now I'm starting to hate things that she hates and she's starting to hate things I hate. I'm starting to like things that she likes and she likes things that I like now. We just, we just get influenced by each other. So what would it look like if we actually spent time with the Lord? What would that look like if our friendship wasn't within the world, but was with God and every day I'm learning something about him that eventually transforms me convicts me, continues to mold me in who he has called me to be. Because you know what? Our God is a jealous God. I'm not saying you leave your friends and stop talking to them. No, all I'm saying is that we should have wisdom to have self-awareness, to open our eyes, but more importantly, to fix our eyes on him so that we would be transforming into the things that would bless us and not hurt us. Our God is a jealous God. Has anybody in here ever been betrayed by someone? Like they felt like they just, you love this person so much, you couldn't believe that they would go and do this behind your back or backstab you. Anybody? I think about a soldier, um, and, and for some reason this is common, a soldier who's out there fighting, battling, to come home to find out that his wife has been seeing another man. The pain that this soldier must have to, to know that while he's out there literally risking his life, his wife is here at home seeing another person. Vice versa too. It happens the other way around too. In that same way, that same sense of betrayal, when we continue to live with the world's standards, God is feeling that same pain of like, man, I've given my son. Like, do you, like, do you recognize, do you, do you honestly comprehend or ascertain somebody dying that's my son 
for you. Blood that was shed on a cross for you because I love you. But you're going to go and mess around with somebody else that don't even care about you, that will lead you to death? The pain. Jealousy isn't a negative thing. It's this longing for, man, don't you understand what I've done for you? Yet you can't even look me in the eyes and say, yes, I want you back. But here's the hope. I'm going I'm to try to finish this up quickly. Here's the hope. Is that God gives more grace. God gives more grace. Verse, <clears throat> verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He gives more grace. Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher, says this. Sin seeks to enter. Grace shuts the door. Sin tries to get the mastery, but grace, which is stronger than sin, resists and it will not permit it. Sin gets us down at times and puts, us, puts its foot on our neck. Grace comes to the rescue. Sin comes up like Noah's flood, but grace rides over the top of the mountains like the ark. And we're called to submit to our God. Why should we? Well, we should submit to God because, number one, he created us. We should submit to God because he, his rule is good for us. We should submit to God because submission is absolutely necessary for salvation. We should submit to God because it is the only way to have peace with God. We must learn to desire only the kingdom of God and not fall to the worldly temptations around us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. I pray, Jesus, that we would submit to you in every area of our life, that we would be humble, that we would recognize that, you know what? Yes, I am that person that continues to, to envy, to covet, that continues to just live in friendship with the world. But I'm ready, Father, right now to, to be in friendship with you, God, because you are ultimately the author and creator of everything, the author and finisher of our faith. So Jesus, help us right now in this moment to recognize that. In your name we pray. Amen.